Light painting is it's taking a, a light source of some sort, whether it's a, a flashlight or you know some sort of small LED or whatever it may yeah, be, yeah. and using other sorts of fabrics or tools to make that light into a specific texture. A lot of the time, you're running around like a total goob, literally waving your arms out in the air like you're some sort of spaz. I use uh, a bunch of different things. I use um, small finger lights a lot. That's great for like tracing your body to get a human figure. I take pieces of plexiglass that are cut in specific ways and I attach a flashlight to the bottom. Mac Murdoch is our guest today and he is a light painter and astrophotographer and he joins us today to tell us all about his craft. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. All right, Mac, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast studio. Thank you very much for having me, man. It is really good. I feel like we've been talking a long time about getting you down here to do this, and you're doing really, really unique stuff. Um, I'm a big Thank fan you. of yours, truly, looking at your stuff and all the light painting. And I think it's just so different. I appreciate that, man. That, that means a lot. How... Did you get into the light painting side of, you know, I mean, when you think of astrophotography, you typically don't think of blending it with adding light to the scene, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's actually a pretty kind of odd and funny story. Uh, I'll kind of funnily breeze through it. But so I went to a concert. I met a guy right before the show started. His name was Chris Bauer. Okay. And uh, I met, it was just some guy I didn't know, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, it's like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a light painter. I was like, the hell? Yeah, that's not a real thing. Yeah, what's what's a light painter? It's like because all, all I've known is like people that take sparklers and yeah, you know, all over the place, or um, or write your name. And so he later adds me on Facebook, and I see his work, and I was like, dude, mm -hmm. this is amazing. This I'm blown away. Right, and. uh I, that's, that's the moment where I knew this is what I want to do. So for people that, cause not, not everybody listening will know what light painting is. What is light painting? So light painting is painting with light. It's, yeah, there you go. That's all we need. Yeah. That's all we need. Yeah. Cool. Let's it, move on. It's a, it's taking a bunch of, <laughs> it's taking a, a light source of some sort, whether it's a, a flashlight or, you know, some sort of small LED or whatever it may yeah, be yeah. and using other sorts of fabrics or uh, tools to make that light into a specific texture and then you're painting over a long exposure and so it's not just the like i've seen a lot of the milky way shots where you have somebody standing with a flashlight and you can see the light from the flashlight shining into the milky way and that sort of thing i think most people the extent of their knowledge of light painting would end it like hey there's a light in this image okay. it's not that you're actually like you are changing the scene by adding light to it in yeah. very unique and artistic ways right a lot of the time you're running around like a total goob 
literally waving your arms out in the air like you're some sort of spaz and and you're just doing these things and everyone's watching like what the hell is he doing right and the next thing you know the, the exposure ends and you have this this brilliant piece on the back of your camera and like then everyone understands mm -hmm. that's the moment of understanding right right but so you get to be on the astronomy side where I think people generally associate astronomy with words like uh, intellectual, you know, or like really like pushing the boundaries, you know. And then on the light painting side, you get words like goob and spaz. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You nailed, nailed it. <laughs> you're blending the two seamlessly. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you're an intelligent spaz. <laughs> <laughs> you are a pioneer. It's funny because they also don't mix very well. You go yeah. to a place that has a lot of astrophotographers and you bust out a light and next thing you know, everyone wants your head. <laughs> yeah. You can't go to the star party. It's like, hey, guys, check out my white light <laughs> flashlight here. It's uh, gas powered with a pull crank. Bullets from yeah. every direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. So you got into light painting and now it has, um, I mean, it's brought you a long way. You've got a book coming out. Can yeah. you talk about that yet? Or Yeah, okay. it's called Secrets from the Stars. Um, it's a follow-up book from um, one of his previous books called Notes from the Stars, mm -hmm. which I had bought, I had I'd been given that book um, by Rogelio, who's a really good friend of mine, uh, also known as Deep Sky Colors. That book changed my whole like idea on astrophotography and how to take Milky Way shots. Like there's a whole section on how to take photos with the moon, which I'd always learned no moon ever, right. new moon all the time. And then finally it's like, there's you, what you can take a picture with an 80% moon of the Milky Way and have that light up your foreground. So it's just like, it's basically a masterclass book where I teach about mixing both light painting and astrophotography together because it's one th to just do one at a time you know just do light painting or just do milky way shots but to mix them together is this whole other art form of being able to blend your lights i'm literally changing apertures th midway through the exposure maybe three or four times i'm light painting something with one flashlight that might be a little brighter literally going to the, the camera capping the lens changing all the tools and things i have to do uncapping the lens mid you know while the exposure wow. is still going changing the aperture doing all these things and sometimes even it's rare but sometimes i'll even change the whole position or even a lens of the camera mid exposure to get the different focal length that i need to be able to capture that image Wow. So, um, yeah, I just assumed you were just putting the camera on auto <laughs> and then just pushing the button. That's not it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what's your, what's your favorite, uh, ISO five billion. Yeah. Just, yeah, just you, leave it at a billion. You're don't, more like, what's the auto setting? Yeah. What's focus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to focus. Anyone listening out there, just forget about focusing altogether. Don't need it. No, it's amazing. And both of them are very challenging. Astrophotography, obviously very complex. There are so many different ways to do it and so many different ways to fail at any one of those ways. Right. But light painting seems to be the same level of complexity when you're doing it on that level. It's, um, for one thing, you're doing it in the dark. Yeah. There, you have to move through your image, but not stop or else you'll be part of the image, unless that's intentional. 
Right. Right. Because you'll be a ghost in the image. Exactly. You can't light yourself at yeah. all. Yeah. The moment the light hits you, you're the exposure is ruined. Yeah. <laughs> and so you just took these two very challenging topics and started blending them. Has anybody else done that? I'm sure there has been. I haven't seen very many. I haven't seen any. Yeah. If, I mean, if, you know, um, I, I do take a little bit of pride mm-hmm. knowing that it has like, I'm even if people have done it, that I'm one of the few. Yeah. But I hope to see a lot more and especially why that's why I decided to be part of this book so that I hope to see more, you know, people that try and blend the two. Well, you have a, a large social media presence, right? And what, what's the feedback that you get from people? Everything is good. I'm, I've heard horror stories of bad comments all the time. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm very blessed to get good stuff of, of people that are inspired and people that love, love the work and want to try it. Mm-hmm. I get about 200 direct messages a day. Wow. And I respond to every single one of them. Really? Yeah. And some of them that need more attention, I give way more attention and really write out, you know, the steps on how to do something and whatnot. Cause I want, I want to see people try and take my advice on the things that I do that I, that I tell them and come up with an amazing piece that they're proud of. 200 messages a day, man. That's a big time commitment. Yeah. So just responding. Yeah. No wonder you're getting positive messages. People are probably like, I can't believe you responded in the first place. Yeah. I mean, when it really comes down to it, I, I had reached out to people when I was first starting photography. Right. And some people were, you know, kind of dicks and not giving me a second of their time. I mean, I don't want to say that's a dick thing. It's just, it's a thing, (laughs) but, um, can I say that word? You can say any word you want. Okay, cool. <laughs> you can't say worse things than Cat Machen has or, or <laughs> you know, me or Tony have. So yeah, the champion of Vlad language. Yeah. Um, but I I hope the, the whole reason why I respond to people is because I wish that when they get to the point where they're inspiring people, that they'll help others and yeah. actually take the time to respond to people because they'll remember what it was like when someone else took the time to help them. What... um. What so on, what about the other side of it? What about the astrophotography side? Because you're doing both, right? Yeah. Like you're you're really and then you're blending the two, but the astrophotography piece of it is this entire journey on its own. Where like what parts of that? What draws you to that? I love the challenge, man. Yeah. Like in the beginning, at the very beginning, I hated the challenge because I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I didn't get how to do something. I, and I'd, I'd go home three or four times without one single image. But now these days it's like, I love the troubleshooting. Yeah. Oh, you I do. Love, yeah. I love figuring You're things in the right out. hobby. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love trying to figure things out. And then the feeling of getting your first image. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a guy that automates it. Well, I, I automate things, but I literally stay up mm-hmm. the whole night watching images come in. Like I love watching every single image come in and make sure that everything's good. All right, was my stars good? Or is the colors all right? The right. So the the feeling every image that comes in on your screen and you see it, that 
is such a, a feeling of accomplishment for me. It is right. Yeah. It's like it's the best when you've you've gone through so much to get to where you're set up and you're you're ready to go, and then you have it running. And you have this vision of what you're trying to get, and then you see it pop up in that moment, and you're like, "There it is. That's yeah. what I was picturing. That's what I wanted." Exactly. And that is the most rewarding thing. Enough so that the other you know sixty two hours where it doesn't happen, you're like, "It's okay. It's yeah. okay because there's going to be that moment." Where that vision, yep, exactly, and that's the best. And I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. it, it really is. There, there are frustrations. Things happen. You know, it can be as simple as a USB cable came unplugged. Yeah, and it's like, why is my system not working? You know, and um, but it's always worth it when you see that image finally. Like there it is. That's what I was looking for. Your hard work paid off. What kind of equipment are you using? So I use an Orion Atlas. Okay, um, that's a good mount. I like it. Um, am I looking for something else? Yeah. But um, just capacity wise or, or I feel like something I don't want to say more reliable is not the word because this mount is very reliable. Um, capacity is, is one thing, but it's I want something that plays. I feel it plays a little better with with the programs and stuff that I'm sure using. I feel yeah. like this one glitches a little little more than I've seen guiding is is a thing and, and tracking uh i have a hard time getting tracking to be where i want it to be mm -hmm. and i feel like it might be mount based right so yeah well there are definitely mounts that were designed specifically for astrophotography that will you know they'll get you into that sub arc second guiding and, yeah. and all of that and it's an old mount yeah, it is. It's been it around is around for a while, and it's it's been around for a while for good reason because it's a good mount. Right. What uh, what kind of telescope? I am a big explorer scientific fan, yeah. so I've got the eighty millimeter carbon fiber and the one twenty seven carbon fiber, uh -huh. uh, with the feather touch focuser. So yeah, those are nice scopes. Scott does such a good job with that company. Yeah, I. Not only do I, I love their gear, but also them as a company yeah. and, and their their uh, customer service is is insane. Yeah, they, he's a he's a stuff. good friend, Scott Roberts. He's a you know he's a Buddhist. Yeah, yeah, Scott's a Buddhist, yeah. and he comes like That's he's cool. been he he did a podcast here in the studio, and I think a couple of times now Scott's been here. But um, every time we end up at the same events together. We always, you know, grab lunch and just kind of talk. And I'm telling you, like, he is one of the funniest people on the planet. Like, everything that guy says for some reason to me is, like, the funniest. So, you you know, he's one of those people you walk away and you're like, I just don't want anyone else to talk to me. And my, my stomach hurts. I don't want to laugh anymore, you know. <laughs> but he's just one of those guys, man. He's so happy about everything. And it's it's contagious. It's impossible to be around him and not. people like that. Yeah, and not be happy. But I think a lot of that, like, that kind of permeates through the, throughout the company, when you call, like you were talking about their customer yeah. service, they kind of have that no matter what happens, uh, we're going to take care of you is pretty much like that's their that's their M.O. And uh, that's awesome. They live and breathe it. So it's good stuff. Yeah, Scott's doing a great job. So you have a refractor. You're a refractor guy. Or do you just happen to have a refractor? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a refractor guy. But okay. at the same time, like I feel like the next one I have is probably going to be I want I want an edge. Oh, okay. I'm I thinking, thought you were going to say like a one meter plane wave. I mean, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just yeah. Uh, ship one over. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you're going to do an edge? I'm expecting it in a few hours. You're going to do like a... I'm thinking about it. Like, 
I, I want to really use, I just got the 127 and I want to really use it before I get something else. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, galaxy season's coming. Right. And I get the focal length. Yeah. And I know what I have right now isn't going to get what I'm really looking for. I'll still try if I don't have anything better, but like I started on an edge HD for imaging. I, um, I went to a refractor shortly after, but I started with, um, the hyperstar on oh, a 14 yeah. inch and really it was just portability was the reason I ended up switching to a refractor, you yeah. know, plus I, I, I don't know, man, there's something about refractors that if you're shooting wide field, you're just like, there's something about these things you just love, you yeah. know, like a good triplet, mm-hmm. um, any, any Apple refractor, man, I've, I've probably in my house right now, I probably got like six or seven just like laying around. Cause I just want to like, you know, there's something about them that feels like telescopes. Yeah, and it's also like it's the closest thing I feel like to a just a normal lens that people use for exactly that's for what I mean. So yeah. it's not such a big culture shock to mm-hmm. like go from using a lens to you know yeah. a refractor. When I set one up in public, I guess this is what I mean when I say it. it's like it feels like telescopes. Is you set one up at a star party, people that have never done astronomy before come up and they're like, "Oh, cool, you have a telescope." But if you set up like a Newtonian on a mount, they're like, "What's that?" Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you shooting this cannon at? You know? <laughs> and I'm like, you kid I'm shooting this cannon at you. Um, no, it's you see, that, <laughs> see that death star right up there in, yeah. in the sky. I'm saving your life right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun, but the edge HD, I, I think I can't think of a scope that's more versatile. Yeah. You can shoot from the back of it at its native focal length and do some of the best planetary work out there, right? You can put the reducer on it and really shoot the deep space stuff like the, you know, go for the galaxies at, at F7. Yeah. Or you can even throw a hyperstar on the front and now and be just at get like the wide field. F1.9, F2 and go wide field. Yeah. I can't think, and you can use them visually. Yeah. You know, so it's not yeah. like the Rasa where you can shoot fast, but you can't put a eyepiece on it, you know? Yeah. It- that's that's pretty much what I was going for. Yeah, the versatility of it all. Yeah, I mean, I'll never give up my my scopes. Like I love I love them and I love what they do and I love the image quality of mm-hmm. them. But I think for the deeper stuff, that's definitely what I want to go for. It's um, I mean, we're talking about photography, right? Like that's the that's the key word is photography, right? In astrophotography, and you still got to think about it like a photographer. So when you're looking at any photographer's kit, it's not just a camera body and a lens. It's yeah. a camera body and a, a whole lens kit. Yeah. They've got, you know, several different lenses because each lens has a purpose. And astronomy is really no different. You, like you said, we're moving into galaxy season, which means we're getting on the side of the sun where we're looking out, out of our galaxy into other galaxies, right? Yeah. And we can't look back at the nebulae at the center of our, you know, Milky Way because the sun's in the way. Yeah. So, so that we got that problem of looking at them during the day, but during galaxy season, this stuff is from our perspective, really small. You got to have that focal length. So now you need your telephoto, right? In quotes. And you really got to have that focal length to reach out and see this stuff in detail. And that's why, you know, that's why I have the big, so in the observatories I have, um, in the two next to each other, at least out in Joshua tree, you have the refractor in one super wide field. Yeah. And then in the other ones, the big 17 inch plane wave is like, what's the focal length on that thing? That one's 3000 millimeters. God damn. So yeah, it's like, imagine somebody shooting like sports 
yeah. at 3000 millimeters or like taking it on a safari, a 3000 millimeter camera lens. It would be like, you know, 20 feet long. Saturn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, being able to have, it's just not practical in a refractor, but when you get these reflectors, you can get that really long focal length and blow things up big. And now you can see those tiny targets in detail. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I think details too is like, that's where really learning about it comes along. Mm -hmm. If you can get up close enough to be able to capture the details of something, I, I personally do a whole star mask and, and, and take out all my stars literally just to see what's going on and, uh, and study this, this, this object. Right. You know, you, you look at, you look at something like the Lagoon Nebula and you can see that it's not just a 2D thing. Yeah. You know, you can see that you're literally looking through a tunnel and it's easier to do that when you have the details to see what's in front of what and you take out the stars. So it's easier to see all these kind of things. So. Yeah. And that's where, you know, post-processing comes in and really takes the images to the next level. That's what makes, um, you know, even some of like, like Rogelio, you just brought him up. Mm -hmm. That's where, I mean, his data collection, obviously, he has the idea before he starts shooting. And, you know, that's that that creative um, side of him that like, hey, I'm an artist, right? But the other piece is taking the, the data that you've collected into post-processing, and that's where it becomes the three-dimensional look and really giving something depth because it's it's very easy especially in astronomy where everything is focused at the same place you don't get the benefits of like bouquet right yeah you don't get the benefits of having it separated from the field in such a drastic fashion that it it pops three-dimensionally otherwise right so it originally looks like a flat image it does so you you have to manipulate the image in your post to really like to have it match your vision, you have to know how to bring out the shadows and bring out, you know, or to tame some of the highlights because it's really all you've got when everything's focused to infinity. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I, I, when I comes to post-processing, I literally go with a dodge and burn tool. Yeah. And I like, I try and try and bring out the 3d depth of it. I, I take the blacks and try and make them a little you like dark. trace the edges and yeah do all that stuff yeah very time consuming but i feel like that it does be. it makes a it makes a huge difference it will certainly yeah it would it would i um so i just look for the saturation slider <laughs> and i just grab it and so i have like you know photoshop they've made a custom version for me where there's 12 saturation sliders and <laughs> it's actually the only buttons i have <laughs> it's the only ones, but I just grab all of them. I just link them all together and I just push them all to the right. To the 11? Yeah, yeah. They, they go to 11 on mine, yeah. but it's it's a one-off Photoshop, so, you know, you can't you can't replicate that. How do I, how do I get this Photoshop action? <laughs> I make fun of it all the time, but the truth is, man, I just like, I wish that I could make these images even more colorful, you know, because I want it to be the thing. And on Instagram, when people are scrolling through and they can see space, they see this tiny little thumbnail. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's got to pop in that, that tiny little thing. And so, you know, I'm not trying to take these images where somebody's going to be like, oh, I'm going to do a lot of science with that image. That's not what I'm doing. So that's I'll, why printing it is great because you're making it into something bigger. Yeah. If I printed it, I would, I would bring in like children with handfuls of glitter to also just like throw that all over the image <laughs> as well. You know, how can we make this thing just like really stand out and be colorful and exciting to anyone that's just getting into space, you know? 
Yeah, we need to Photoshop you with like holding a print with a rainbow going right over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bedazzle my images. Two prints with the rainbow coming from each end. <laughs> it's so colorful. It starts its own rainbow. <laughs> yeah. My images are where rainbows originate. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, whenever you see a rainbow when you're driving, just know. That there's a dust and print at the bottom of it. Yeah. Somewhere at the bottom of that, someone's on my Instagram account. <laughs> so it. what's your what's your processing technique? What do you do? Because you have that very like you have that that balance and it still holds that realistic, you know, kind of like three dimensional look. What do you what are you doing there? So uh, I use Photoshop. I haven't made the jump over to Pix Insight. You're not a Pix Insight guy. I never no. would have guessed that. I have you, I, I know that this, that's a thing that's coming. Oh, man, you are putting some time into your images. <laughs> wow. Yeah. To get that much detail out of Photoshop takes time. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, that's, that's where dodging and burning really comes into, yeah. into play. I mean, I, I don't change it. I don't add anything that's not supposed to be there or, or whatnot. But, um, yeah, just you stack them. You put them in its own channels. I, I'm a big fan of editing each channel separately to begin with and then you flatten it down and start kind of going from there. Yeah. So why, um, why, why are you using Photoshop? I mean, it's, it's the most powerful and complete tool out there, but it's, I've literally been using Photoshop since we were on Photoshop four. You're just comfortable there. (laughs) Yeah. And I literally, I I know so much I'm not going to say I'm a master at it, but like, but you know my way around it pretty well. And I know that, PixInsight can easily do the stuff that Photoshop does in way less steps. It's a lot less time yeah. consuming. And I've tried it. I'm not going to lie. I downloaded the the free trial that they do and I gave it 30 days and I I I downloaded uh what's the stuff is the data. <laughs> you gave it 30 days. Just long well, enough to say hell no. <laughs> well, I think that's what their trial is for is 30 days. Yeah. But uh I downloaded uh Bray Falls's data from his website oh okay yeah um it was like a tutorial that came with them and i tried i was like all right let's figure out pics and site and i was i was lost yeah so you um bray bray's data is good data to start with too so yeah you, if you weren't pulling good images out of pics Insight with that yeah no i mean I've, I've followed tutorials and stuff on how to do it but yeah it was still it was i, I just need more time with it Mm-hmm. And it's time, and it's like when it, once I'm done finishing capturing an image, it's like okay, I just want to process it yeah. instead of learning a new. Yeah, you get too program. excited, so you go back to the thing that you know. Yeah, so you can see, so you can see it. Yeah, you were talking about too on another podcast on how like it's important to not edit things as soon as you're done, and I am the worst with that. As soon like, all right, I finally finished capturing data at like five a.m. in the morning. I know I have work at eight o'clock in the morning. All right, let's start processing this. And I start processing it. And mm-hmm. it's like, nope, it's not you need fresh eyes. Yeah. Fresh eyes. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, I mean, you can pull so much more. I've noticed that if you process an image and then you go back after, you know, let's say four or five months later, you take the image you processed, you take the original data. Now that you have that process of it and then you reprocess it, 100% of the time, the second one's better. Yeah. Always, like if you go back and you rework your original data, you find all the things that you don't, even if it's like almost subconsciously that just don't resonate with you about your final 
product that if you go back and you redo it, you eliminate those things and then oh, you yeah. look at it and you're like, damn, this is so much better. Yeah. Especially if it's something that you're, you're passionate about, chances are in that four months of time, you've also learned a whole lot more. You've studied, you've literally watched every YouTube video on something specific that you've wanted to learn. And next thing you know, you're smarter to be able to tackle those things to, to make that image a better image. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Uh, this is, this is such a difficult question, but what do you think makes a great image? Oh God, put me on the spot here. It's hard. It's hard, but you know, we, we talk about it from time. Like everybody's like, oh, well you gotta, you gotta really push it so that the image can be great. But it's like, what is that? What do you think that means? You know, I say this, I'm going to, I'm going to put this both in, um, in both just a whole photography thing. Mm -hmm. Cause I think it fits all the photography. I think it really comes down to effort and you can tell effort in an image, right? You can tell, is there composition? Did they, did they actually like, is it, did they just point their telescope up at the sky, look on Astrobin? take, you know, put in the settings that you saw in someone else's picture. And then as soon as it's done, maybe saturation to 45,000. Yeah. And then no. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, or did you really figure out? <laughs> yeah, that's the setting. <laughs> or did you really figure out what, what you want your framed field of view to be? Did you figure out what telescope you're going to use, what colors you wanted to use it. I, I am a big fan of, of looking at other people's settings and stuff, but not copying other people's settings. Right. Figure out, take, take your first exposure. See for yourself. Is it too bright? Is it not too bright? Fixed, you know, you can tell that someone has put the time and effort into an image and don't get me wrong. There are some that are better than others, mm -hmm. but for me, that, that is good photography. I agree. Like there should be a, like a signature in a look, you know, I, I think that, and I think yours have that. I do. Um, I think that like Travis Burke is another one. When you see a Travis Burke image, I've been on airplanes before and I'm like flipping through their magazine and then you'll see like an image of, you know, in Utah of the arches and the Milky Way in the back. I'm like, oh, that's Travis. I've never seen the image before and I know like that's a Travis Burke image. And then yeah. in the bottom right, it'll say it. Oh, there it is. Of course it is. But you can tell the second you see it with certain people, I know who shot that. And that's the thing with effort. With yeah. effort, you have your own style. Right. Like you, I know whenever your image pops up, yep, that's a Dustin image. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that. That's when mm -hmm. you know someone put a lot of effort into making it their own, yeah. making it something unique, something that really resonates with who they are as a person, as a creative person. So, yeah. And that's important, right? Because the second you start manipulating the image, it's all art at that point. Yeah. You know, it's no longer just scientific data. Now it's artwork. So you might as well make it a representation of the art that you like. Yeah. So, and I think that's, I think that's why I really started to mix Milky Way photography with light painting. Right. Is to come, it wasn't even to like come up with my own style or something. It was literally because I felt like this picture needed something. It right. needed, yeah. it needed a different subject. If I just draw a light person on this, on this rock, looking up at the Milky Way, that gives it a whole different look, a whole different uniqueness it's it's almost as if it isn't real 
while still making it like the, the landscape is still real. You still feel like you're there and you see this light person just sitting down on a rock looking up. Like it's, it's yeah, a small thing. Well, that's one of the things that I like so much about photography, you know, and in, in some of the talks that I do, I talk about how, you know, we're the only ones, astrophotographers specifically, we can not only stop time, but we can go back in time. Everyone else is controlled by it, not us, right? And I like that. I like that idea that like there's this philosophical perspective that is provided only through this hobby. And then not only that, photography allows you to take everyday experience and instead convert it into artistic expression. And what else does that? You know, what else is going to take whatever it is you're experiencing right now and by the press of a shutter, create that into artistic expression? I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it, I, I love that it does that. And so if it's going to be that, I think it makes sense that the things that we find value in an artwork, something that is completely subjective, should be a representation of our interest. And so like for myself, the artists that I find fascinating are the colorful artworks, the things that really are like creative. I, I like I love Dali, yeah. right? Van Gogh and these things that are just out there. I, I like that. And so it wouldn't make sense for me to like these big, colorful images that are impactful and then be like, all right, guys, here's my realist image of uh, Andromeda. Yeah. <laughs> Andromeda. <laughs> here's Andromeda exactly to scale. And here's a penny to show it, you know, like, no, man, like that wouldn't make any sense. It's not what I appreciate in art. And so I think that our work should be a representation of our interests. Right? Yeah, exactly. You were inspired by these kind of artists. And you relay that in your own art. You're not copying. Yeah. You're not, you know, you you have been inspired by something yeah. that you want to see in your own. Yeah. I did, uh, you know, I did one with the Rasa. I did, a, you know, one image of Andromeda that I tried to make, like, realistic for the, uh, you know, the virtual star parties. And I just, like... It, it was so off with who I am, you know, like doing that. I could feel like when I was drinking, like I could feel my pinky going up, you know, and it was just, it was getting so extended that it started to pull Basic. the tendons. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. So, you know, I, I pushed it back down and then I just cranked the saturation and I was back. <laughs> I was like, I'm back guys. Here I am. Yeah, I, I felt I felt the latte just coming straight for me. What is that pumpkin spice? Yeah. It just wasn't me, man. So, yeah, I um, I'm back. Worst five minutes of your life. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's fun to be different, to think different. You know, when I started photography. The whole idea was that I didn't want to just use a camera for what a camera is used for. Right. Like it's it's so much more. And uh, yeah, I've I've taken pictures where you're literally taking an exposure, flipping the whole camera upside down, and taking the same exposure so you see like you're standing on yourself, or 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 you create two different wor worlds. It's almost like. Imagine the upside down in in, uh, in Stranger Things, uh -huh. where you can you can create that literally from just taking taking an exposure, covering the lens, turning the camera upside down, uncovering it, painting again. Wow! And it's like 
It's it's things that are using the camera, not what it's primarily used for. I mean, it's using it for what it's used for, but it's not just a point and shoot. It's not just yeah, exactly. So that the challenge of getting whether it's uh, astrophotography or or light painting, it's literally figure something out that that's a good challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that. Um... You know, these are these are tools. The camera is a tool, right? In the same way that, you know, to an artist, a paintbrush would be. But I, I think you're going to see different things and you're going to express yourself differently. And the people that really embrace the idea that these are the tools of my craft, right? And I can use them however I want. Because some people, I mean, we all have different visions for things. One person will see you know, a gigantic stone out there and be like, that stone would look awesome exactly how it is in my garden. And Michelangelo is like, I see the David, you know, and we've, we, he's using the tools that he's got, you know, he's going to do it, chip away at this thing. And the same thing, it's like, we have these tools. I, I think we should break things apart. I think we should chip away at whatever it is we have and really try to find, you know, whatever masterpiece we can in whatever it is we're doing. And, I don't think that it has to be liked by everybody. You know, I, no. I get a lot of really, really positive messages and it's all, it's always so great when people message me and they're like, your work is so inspiring, man. It's what got me into this. I love seeing these big bright nebulae and all of that. And it's why you shared it to begin with. Exactly. I love seeing that. And then I get a lot of other people that are like, oh, you really like, you really want this to be dramatic. Right. And like, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Um, but I just don't think it matters that everybody like it. And I think honestly, if you're doing something artistic and you start to get the feeling that everybody likes it, you're probably not doing very much, you know, (laughs) because I don't know anybody doing anything where other than like drawing a picture that people are like, yeah, that's good enough to put on my fridge until you leave. So I can throw it in the garbage, you know, it's like, if you're doing something that is impactful, you're going to get mixed reviews on it. And that's been the case through all of human history, right? Yeah. What's that saying? It's like, you know, you've made it when someone hates you or something like that. It's like <laughs> when you've got a hater. Yeah. Do you have any haters? Uh, I don't have very many. I have, I've got people over here and there that thinks that I stole something from NASA. Literally, oh, do you get that? Literally because they don't know that you can take these things. Yeah. With, okay, I've got a really funny, really quick story. I met my girlfriend's dad for the first time. Uh, it was like two weeks ago. And literally, <laughs> I'm just there eating my food, whatever. And Dom, my, my girlfriend says, it's like, hey, he's a photographer. I show him my stuff. He literally thought everything was fake in Photoshop. Oh, wow. Nice. Everything was fake. But I was like, no. That's like, a good this, first this conversation. Like, yeah, I know, right? It was, it was <laughs> disaster, but. Disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was just funny how, you know, I get those a lot of people that think mm-hmm. my stuff is just fully Photoshopped and stuff. It's like, no. And I actually don't really do composites either. Like, I do, but. I want to say maybe 90, 95% of my stuff are either single shot images or just stacked images. Yeah. Like, so I don't, when you, when someone says Photoshopped, I expect something that's not there in the picture that shows up in the picture. Mm-hmm. What camera are you using? Um, I use both a Canon 6D and 60D. Um, 
and those are my DSLRs. And then for astronomy or astrophotography, I use um, an ASI 1600. Do you ever use the DSLRs for astrophotography? I used to all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely how I first started. It's how I recommend everyone start. Yeah. Um, And I came up with some of my favorite images with it. Um, But I've, I've moved... I like the longer process of taking the different right. filters and, and whatnot. I, um, I've been going, I've gone full circle. So I started with a Fuji film on the back of, you know, a telescope or on the front of a telescope. Sorry, right? you're a Fuji guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Fuji, man. I do. I love Fuji film cameras. I, I want to take those, one out one day. And those X-Trans sensors. Like when you take the shot of the Milky Way, you know, you got to get rid of all that green because it's the red, green, green, blue pattern over, over and over on a Bayer matrix. Right. Fuji doesn't have that. Really? What, what's theirs? It's across 36 pixels instead of four, but it comes out so even and like the black sky looks black and then the red nebulae will be red and it's just clean out of the camera. So, and this isn't like, it sounds like I'm right now like pitching Fuji. I'm not, no, it's just, no, it's that's just why I use it for yeah. Astro, you know? I'd love to take one out and, and yeah. get a shot. But I've gone full circle. So I, I still use the observatories uh, when, you know, we have our affiliates and I'm really trying to get get them to where they're to the point that just anyone can log in and feel comfortable using. Yeah. And uh, it's a harder challenge than you'd think, man, getting them to where they're, they're not only safe to use and you can't really, you know, break them, but also to where it makes sense what's happening to someone that's never logged in and used remote observatories before. It's a challenge. But anyway, I, um, my home systems, I've gone back to throwing my Fuji on the back of a refractor and uh, I've been trying different Fujis on these things now, and I'm having a blast, man, just using yeah. the Triad Ultra filter. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because then I'm still shooting narrowband. That's like my thing. It's a great time saver. Oh, man. It's, it's so fun not having cables, too. Yeah. Like just putting it on a tracker, you know, like just uh, like I used the Skywatcher Star Adventurer this weekend with um, I put the big. So I got a, um, a Fuji GFX 100. So it's a hundred megapixel medium format Fuji film. God damn! I know it's so crazy, man. When I, and it's like image stabilized. Pulled this thing out of the box, and it's just a brick, you know. But I was like, it's a hundred megapixel Fuji. We're about to play. Can the adventure handle that? Yeah. Oh, it handled it beautifully. I mean, I had to have the counterweight in a tiny telescope. Yeah. But it handled it beautif- beautifully. And honestly, I overload that thing all the time. They yeah. were really conservative with the weight they said they could handle. Yeah, I've, I've definitely pushed it, and it's, yeah. it's good. I mean, like, I, I put a lawn chair on it and rode it. <laughs> I, I rode it across, <laughs> sidereally, across its entire tracking motion. It guided. It guided. Yeah, I had it Perfect guided. Perfect yeah. point, point .2 guided. Yeah, I was tracking one arc second. It was good. <laughs> anyway, no, that's a lie. Somebody's going to buy it and then send it back to me and be like, uh, I, I just put this on chair it. on this thing and <laughs> it broke. Yeah. Um, I always recommend that one, the Star Adventure. It's a I've great got one. It's a great I've one. used it for so many years. I love it. I still use it. You should push it. See what I'm talking about. You can throw big lenses on there and push it. And, I've and put see. the 80 millimeter carbon fiber Explorer Scientific on it. Yeah. With, you know what I'm talking with about. With the Canon 60D. And then uh, I, I mounted, what did I mount on top of it? Like, Four or five lasers, literally, just because it was part of a, 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 a light <laughs> Four painting. Four or five. It was a light painting. Oh, okay. So, All right. So it was a picture of Andromeda, but I wanted the green laser to go around it. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's cool. Like almost like tunnel vision into the galaxy. <laughs> right. And um, 
so uh and it it did fucking phenomenal yeah they're awesome they, yeah. they work really well and because it has that that uh counterweight shaft that it, it's like extended it's pretty long you can get the um i didn't even use that really not gonna lie didn't use it wow in fact i don't even know if i have one still yeah i'm surprised the thing didn't catch on fire <laughs> <laughs> it's that thing is, is is pretty strong it's a beast yeah but it's cool because it's run by double a batteries you know? know so you don't have to like bring no power out to it and then if you have a dslr you don't even have to well not a dslr but like these mirrorless cameras what i'm using you don't even have to have cables to that. There's no computer. Mm-hmm. So if you're not messing with guiding or anything, you just like go. Just yeah. set it down, make sure it's pointed north and go. Yeah. So fun, man. I'm uh, I'm the total total dick when it comes to going out to deep sky spaces and uh where I literally have the the polar scope and I mm-hmm. shine a laser through it. Oh yeah. Just yeah. get it like that. Right. Cuz I can't I I, I take so long to literally look through it, get it where I need to go. It's like, no, nope, just laser, cool, done. Literally. Have you ever used like the iPolar or the Pole Master or any of those? I have the Pole Master. Yeah, those are so nice. I love my Pole It's definitely glitching on me now, but really? it's it's old and it's it's been through a lot. Do you use Windows or Mac? Um, I use a Mac just to Polar Align because it glitches on my my PC a little more. Huh. Um, but uh, I use all, I use a PC for all the acquisition. You use a PC for acquisition and your first name is. Mac. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my own trader. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that I understood that right. I'm my own. Well, it sucks because I would literally use Mac for all of it. Except for the fact that until like pretty much recently, Ascom didn't run for Mac. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like in this day and age to make, at least from my person, from my knowledge that I know of, like Ascom helped so much on, right. on being able to like make things talk to one it's another. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I, I literally bought a PC just for that. In the observatories, I use PC for everything because it would just be too much of a headache trying to get everything to run on a Mac every yeah. night. And then everyone else in the world, I feel like, uses PC. And since these are for other people to use, setting up a Mac in there would be a problem. Yeah. But at home and even here in the office, if you look at every computer in this office, they're all Windows except for every computer I have to touch. Man, I hate Windows with passion. Yeah, I love Macs. Yeah, I just... I love myself. I just like... I tend to like things that um, that work. <laughs> you know? I just have a hard time getting into things that just don't work. Don't you hate when you buy a new PC and it just doesn't work? <laughs> no, I, I think honestly my experience, I had like four PCs fail on me in the observatories, like back to back to back. And then the one we finally got working, Windows did an update and crashed it in the middle of one of our runs. And I was just like, man. Dude, I'm terrified of updates. There's no... And then they make you buy the pro version of Windows to even stop it from updating. Yeah. I'm just like, what the hell? You have to pay extra money so you don't break my shit. Yeah. I'm still running uh, Yosemite on my my Mac. Just because you like the picture? Literally because I'm terrified of updating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I did. I went from Lion to Yosemite yeah. and half of my apps didn't work anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. And then... Um, 
I, I know that my sequence generator pro mm -hmm. literally is, is 10 stops behind. Like I've not updated it. It keeps telling me, Oh, we got a new update. But then I've, I've like, I watched Chuck's astrophotography and it's like, Oh, something's not working because yeah. of the update. So I'm just, I'm scared of like, okay, everything's working now. Things are good. I'm not having So issues. why change it? Exactly. Why change it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. So I have the observatories now they're blocked. They, I don't update anything in those because of that. And yeah. because they're fully automated, you don't need anything else. It, yeah. it does the trick that it's made to do right now. And as if, if that's all it does and it does it, mm -hmm. you don't need anything else. Contained little system. What do you think about these, um, like the ASI air from ZWO and you know, you got the stellar mate, these little raspberry Pi boxes. I think it's great. I do too. Yeah. I think, I think it's great. I don't have one. I've thought about using one. Um, I it sucks to bring out a whole system. You haven't tried them yet? No. I'll send you home with a Stellar Mate today. You'll you'll love these things, man. They're so fun. Yeah. And being able to just like everything just on, on this phone. tiny little box. You know, it's like this tiny little box, and it's your USB hub. It's everything, and you power that, and then um, you know you can you can get other power sources for, yeah. to power everything else like the uh, the Pegasus products, right? I've got the power box. Yeah, that's so good. And so that and then this little Raspberry Pi, it's like, man, it's the best. Right, know? and you just, it, it it wirelessly, you can control things from your phone. Yeah, with full I, automation. With full automation. Like, I think that's great for the community. Yeah. Because astrophotography is a very technical thing. There's a lot of things going on, especially if you have a computer that you have to bring with you and a bunch of programs and whatnot. Like, the ASI Air. I'm not too familiar with the Stellarmate, but I heard amazing things. Um, it's like it's literally one program mm -hmm. that you can just kind of click a few things and press go. Yeah, and I think that's great. It makes things easy for people. Yeah, I think that you know probably like the deepest you know realm of hell would just be like a mess and tangle of cables, spaghettis. Yeah, it would just be cables everywhere. Like that would be my hell, you know. It's just bad cable management everywhere. It used to be my problem, yeah. the biggest problem. I, I just like the cables annoy me, and they always end up damaging equipment. Like if they're tangled wrong, you get wrapped around the counterweight shaft, and it rips something out of the camera. I mean, can't tell you how many. Like even universities have called and be like, "Uh, we uh, we need a new." camera or at least sending this one back to get repaired because <laughs> cable got wrapped around it's like man yeah that's what these little boxes solve is now you're using tiny cables that just run to this little box that's mounted on the system itself and you know the eagle the eagle computers do this really uh, well too. i've heard eagles are amazing oh uh, yeah i have one at home man i love that but all these new solutions get rid of that came cable management issue yeah. because you're using like eight inch cables that just run from the camera to this little box and there's nothing it can touch in between. It's just I think that's what I love too about the newer mounts. The mm -hmm. newer mounts have kind of an in in body cable right, too, exactly. which kind of helps it. I can't tell you how many times actually I can. It's like five, six times, which is which is five, six times too many, where I've gone out, set up my gear, started taking pictures, and then all of a sudden it's not guide like I'm looking at my pictures and it's not guiding anymore. It's not tracking mm -hmm. anything. I'm like the hell's going on and i go out and it's literally a cable that has unlocked the clutch <laughs> so your equipment just slams into itself well, i mean it's it's nicely balanced so like 
that won't happen, but it also won't track anything anymore. Yeah. So you just start seeing star trails. You're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. <laughs> There's 10 minutes of my life down the drain. And I'm the kind of idiot that literally, if, if, something, if a bad photo comes out, I literally give it a whole other exposure to see if it, that problem has gone away. Mm-hmm. So now that 10 minutes turn into 20 minutes of wasting your life. Right. So you go out, you got to relock the clutch. You got to, like my, my mount doesn't have a home. So you got to put it back at home and then you have to read, you know, it's, it's this whole issue of yeah crap. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't do that. And I really haven't even considered it until you just said that, but like, I don't, I don't set it up and then take a test shot to see. I just am like, nailed it, man. <laughs> nailed. Like, like, I guess it's like when you watch a basketball game, you know, you see the guy shoot and then he just starts going down the court like, yeah, that one's in. Yeah. You know, Got but it. that's probably why I wake up each day and I look at my day and I'm like, damn, the entire night I didn't get a single shot. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even turned on. I didn't know. And the and the lens cap was on the whole thing. But, but I still, man, like it still doesn't register. So the next night I started up and I'm like, nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, those wasted nights, man. Yeah, I've had many. I, you know, I'll tell you this. That's one of the things I absolutely love the most about astrophotography and the astrophotography community is that you don't have lazy people. Like everybody that gets into this has to put in the effort. Like you have to, you got to learn the stuff and just learning the stuff alone takes so much time and patience and effort. And then to drive out to these dark locations because in the beginning, you're not going to start narrowband. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you can, but I don't recommend it. But yeah. so you drive out to these dark locations, you set up your gear, you, you spend a whole night to take an image, you spend a whole nother day to like process it in the beginning. Because in the beginning, even if you are a pro at Photoshop, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. And then you finally get one image, one picture mm-hmm. over a whole like day and a half of effort. Like, no lazy person is going to go through that. It's not the hobby for, for yeah. lazy people, yeah. And the and we live in a day these days where everything is kind of instant gratification. Like, a, a lot of kids just want to um, kind of take something, post it up, yeah. feel good about themselves because they got a few likes on it, and then... Few likes. <laughs> yeah, and then that's yeah. it. Yeah. Dude, I swear, every, every likes likes these days... Or like its own little, uh, what's the thing that, that you get when you, when you, that f- like euphoria feeling, huh? Yeah. It's, it's an endorphin thing. Mm-hmm. It's like every like just gives you a little more endorphins. It's validation, like, right? For your efforts. I think that's what people are like, oh, cool. Like I thought this was cool and other people are telling me that it's cool. So I feel validated that I spent this much time or energy on it. Yeah. And maybe that's what it is. That's the gratification. Yeah. You know, I don't know that that... People people say that a lot that that's a thing of our generation, but I don't know that there's ever been a generation that didn't want recognition for their efforts. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's just our generation got better at making it efficient. Yeah, that's I, all. We we came up with a system to show it. <laughs> <laughs> the like button <laughs> to quantify it exactly. Well, how much gratification did you get exactly? Because yeah. I got two hundred and forty. How many times can I like yeah. this picture? We made it an economy, you know, <laughs> a gratification economy, you know. Yeah. But even so, you get one <laughs> image after all that time. Yeah. So I, 
I love that. You know? Yeah. And so, so there's, there's no community in the world like this one, you know, like I love photography. I'm telling you, man, like it's part of who I am. It's just a photographer of all types. I, mm -hmm. I love doing, so I do a lot of like animal portraits, you know, I'll go to the, the zoo, spend the whole day there just taking, you know, huge lenses and doing super close ups of like lions and stuff. I love that kind of photography to where when you bring it back, you've got the resolution to see like a single eyelash or something, you know? I love that stuff. Yeah. I love doing that stuff. And, um, we gotta go to the zoo. And so photography is like part of, who I, I feel like I've built it into part of my identity. It's like my creative outlet, but the photography community is not one that I've ever really connected with when I go to photography forums or just even, you know, most of the photography shops I've gone to when I travel, I always try to stop into them. And there's always kind of like this air of like, I don't want to give you my secrets. I don't want to talk about what I'm doing. I've been doing this a really long time and I figured out all the secrets and it's like, you don't get that in astronomy. Everybody's like, check this out. Here's how I did it. You can push it further, you yeah. know? And like, there, it's such an open and inviting thing. And on both sides, the visual side is the best at that. I think the we astrophotographers can learn a lot from visual astronomers yeah. in community building and sharing, you know? Because we, we share our pictures through social media and stuff, but I think it's a lot of what you were hinting at, like getting the validation Mm -hmm. feeling cool but visual astronomers will be out there in the middle of the night waiting for two people to show up to share it with you know like they are serious they'll go anywhere to share a visual like just a view of the moon you see them set up everywhere like jupiter joe in new york that guy's my hero man Wait, his name is Jupiter Joe? Yeah, Jupiter Joe. You need to look this That's guy That's awesome. Up. I love this guy already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just will travel everywhere. He goes to these crazy links to like set up in Times Square and set up like all over New York, just making sure that whoever is walking by gets a view of space that night. Damn, New York. Mm -hmm. New York City. Where, Manhattan. Where light, light pollution is no joke. Yeah. He's not messing around, man. And uh, I love that about visual astronomers, though, is that they are committed to what all of us really should be. Yeah. You know, sharing, sharing. Exactly. Sharing the views. Although they get really upset with astrophotographers because we have lights. They get even more <laughs> angry with you because you bring professional lighting. <laughs> oh, yeah. You are the enemy to every visual astronomer on the planet. Uh, I, I, I know damn well that if I'm going and there's another astrophotographer it's like all right i'm gonna leave my shit in the back yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah you don't belong here i guess yeah. yeah but even so like i've been to a play i went to joshua tree and there was a bunch of people um going for art rock and no one was happy with their picture because it was a it was a new moon and it's really hard to get um the the landscape mm -hmm. with a new moon it, it was just dark you don't yeah. have that light coming in so I immediately was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to get yelled at because I really want one shot. That's all I want. Yeah. And I literally just turned on my light. And I light lighted this, the, the foreground up. No one had ever heard of that before. Next thing you know, do that again. Do it again. Try oh, to get, try, cool. They yeah. all wanted that shot of like actually getting to see something. So some people hate it depending on the time of the, the, the moon. Yeah. Days. Yeah. I, um, 
I've seen times where, so we have a pixel stick. You know what those are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The pixel stick is just a gigantic, like, six-foot light that when you turn it on, it's it's the brightest thing, you know. Like, when they were talking about, like, let there be light, that's what it was. <laughs> Somebody turned on the pixel stick and the universe was created, you know. Um, created by the man himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it's a super bright light. But what it does is it flashes you know, it has several layers. It's got a resolution of its own, right? And it can flash and you walk with it and it will paint an image. So it's the cheating version of what you actually do. And it will paint an image. And so we were just painting these images. But I had it, it I think it was in Travis's van when we were in Death Valley at the Death Valley Star Party. And we'd been out there like in our defense for like six, seven hours that night and it was it was getting to the point where it's like most people were already in bed. There were just a couple of people still up. And we were like, we're going to do one pixel stick image. And I don't remember what it was, but I think we were going to paint like the Mona Lisa across the whole thing. And we turned that light on, man. And I didn't realize when you're in a truly dark site, how much even the smallest light can light everything up. Oh, yeah. We turn that thing on and it's like, oh, my God, it's daytime. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just ruined this night. My in, eyes. In a fraction of a second. And I felt so bad. We never brought that thing back out again. Man. But it was. <laughs> yeah. And they were not happy and for good reason, you know. But you got to spend a whole other 20 minutes to, to adjust your eyes and. Well, turning a light on in a truly dark site is different than turning a light on anywhere else. Yeah. You know, when it's truly dark, you don't realize that. I mean, you, you affect the people, you know, half a mile away from you. Yeah. They see that in their yeah. picture. Right. Yeah. It was a, it was a learning experience. But since then, you know, we've mended things with those astrophotographers and visual astronomers, and we are no longer on the top 10 list. <laughs> you know so um enemies <laughs> it's uh it's very useful when doing here's a little tip for everyone if you're going to do light painting and astrophotography is if you are using a high iso like 6400 or something to get your milky way shot you have to use a really dim light mm -hmm. something that's like dying dim to to equally expose what you wanted because if you choose you yeah. know a regular flashlight you do you shoot that high with your iso sometimes yeah wow yeah it depends on what the weather is to be real mm -hmm. if it's a hot day out i'll go 32 just because mm -hmm. noise yeah but if not six my my 60 can handle 6400 pretty damn well i so all of my milky way shooting is at 400 really all of it yeah well i mean you're, you're also tracking yeah yeah. No, if I'm tracking, I'm at four to eight hundred. Okay. But if it's just a single shot, one off kind of thing, yeah, mm. I won't. Yeah, I just I think I have that. Even though I know the cameras can do it now, I'm just like, oh, I know I'm putting noise in my image when I'm at that like sixty yeah. sixteen hundred. It's like oh, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I'm going back to four. <laughs> going back to four, I'll do a longer exposure, and then I'm probably getting thermal noise that's greater than what I would have. I assume that's so easy to take out though. It is. Yeah, yeah. it is. So um what equipment do you use last last question for you i've already taken an hour of your time but I, i'd oh, like to know it. this because i don't know anything about light painting what equipment do you use for light painting because it's not just like a flashlight uh sometimes it is sometimes you literally just have a flashlight and you're and you're drawing yourself i use uh a bunch of different things i use um 
small finger lights a lot. That's great for like tracing your body to get a human figure. I take pieces of plexiglass that are cut in specific ways and I attach a flashlight to the bottom. There's a company called Light Painting Brushes that that makes these. And what it does is when you turn on the flashlight, it now illuminates in the shape on the outside part, it illuminates the shape of that plexiglass. So let's say if you have one that looks like a feather and you turn on your flashlight on strobe mode, you can literally paint wings on somebody. I use- uh, That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. There's a, do you know what L-wire is? It's like a, it's almost like a string of, what is it called? It's a luminescent. Did I say that right? Yeah. It's luminescing wire. Yeah. Mm. Where it's basically just a string that lights up, but you can really move it around. If you, if you, um, if you take it and you move it around, let's say someone or whatever, it starts to look like smoke or, or fire in a, Mm. in an exposure. So that's that's some of it i've got like light swords i have a lightsaber i use all the time yeah, <laughs> yeah. you just see some dude with a lightsaber looking like he's swatting flies and pitch black dark and what the hell's going oh, on oh there's mac yeah that's yeah. Mac. yeah yeah but it's 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 a mission to figure out so i've i've got all the tools that i need on me and i swap from one to another right and paint the use the different textures to paint what i need to paint and imagine this this is this is how I view light painting. Imagine you you're in pitch black and you are you want to draw, let's say Van Gogh's Starry Night. Let's just say you have to paint it without actually seeing what you're painting. Right. You are you have to imagine every line that you paint with every different color in your head and go over what you see in your imagination. And you can't go back, you can't go over anything because the moment you go over it, you blow it out or you add those two colors together. Uh. You have to um, stay, like let's say if you're, you're drawing a circle and you have to stay within those lines of the circle, you can't see anything. And then finally, when, you, when you're done with the whole painting, you say, cut, and the, or, or you, you stop the shutter or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And all of a sudden, your picture appears. You can't edit it. You can't add anything in like that is how it is. And you're literally just drawing something from your imagination <laughs> on nothing. Wow. It's not even on a, you're not, you're not drawing on a pencil yeah, or a pencil yeah. on a paper. You're drawing on nothing. Yeah. That's amazing. So. Sounds extremely challenging. <laughs> it, 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 it can be. Yeah. You know, but that's the thing too, is literally you can create anything. Right. Your, your imagination is literally the extent of what you can create. Yeah, I think you're probably getting people excited about light painting right now. It does sound fun. It sounds like so. it would be a blast. Yeah. So people that want to see your work, they want to see what this all looks like. Where can they go to, to find you? You guys can go to my Instagram, which is at Mac Murdoch, M-A-C-K-M-U-R-D-O-C. Um, yeah, that's kind of where that's the, the best place the is bulk of everything. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, this has been fun. I'm glad you got to come down, hang out at OPT. Thank you very much for, for inviting me down here. This has been great. Cool. Thanks. 
Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com.